When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Husker fans, welcome to episode 183 of the Husker Football Fan Podcast. I'm Mike Harvat. And I'm Justin Swanson. In today's episode, we talk about the coming Big Ten football season with Dustin Schutte, managing editor at Saturday Tradition, an outlet dedicated to covering Big Ten football. You can find us on the web at huskerpod.com or by searching Husker Football Fan Podcast on Facebook. You can also connect with us on Twitter by following at HuskerPod or email us at HuskerPod at gmail.com. This episode is brought to you by Central Nebraska Buffalo. Check out their website for the latest deals at cnbuffalo.com. Also brought to you by Monty Rohde with Pinnacle Realty in Lincoln. Looking to buy or sell a home in Lincoln or know someone who does? Hit up Monty at 402-770-3356. Our discerning listener will notice that uh, there was a, a new ad there, a new sponsor. Yeah, we got Monty on board on the Husker Pod hype train. All right, welcome aboard, Monty. Yeah, Monty's available to help you buy or sell a home here in Lincoln or the surrounding area. Uh, we've gotten to know Monty over the last month or so. Seems like a great guy, honest, straight shooter. Um, Mike, you know, I bought a home for the first time three and a half years ago. Mm-hmm. And the market was, as it is now, the market was crazy then here in Lincoln. And uh, you really need someone who knows what they're doing and who can kind of guide you through the process. And we were really grateful for the person we worked with. And uh, so, yeah, we uh, we commend Monty to you. Awesome. Yeah, at the top of the episode, I shared his phone number, but you can also email him at monty.rohde, that's R-O-H-D-E, at prglincoln.com. Yeah, we'll be talking more about Monty and what he has to offer in the coming season, so uh, stay tuned and be prepared to learn more. Speaking of the upcoming season... Yeah? You had a conversation about the upcoming season this week. I did, yeah. Let, let, let's set this up just a little bit. Um, we've kind of already alluded to it in the last couple episodes, but uh, every, every spring and summer, we, for the last... Is this the third year or the fourth year now that we've done it? We've interviewed beat reporters or fan podcasts that cover every team in the upcoming schedule. And uh, so this year we're, we're getting ready to do that again, but we're going to, we're adding a little something this year, which is um, we're going to get some high level comments on the big 10 before we dive in. Uh, I just thought to help set the stage and, you know, also inform our conversations a little bit with each of these beat reporters um, because I mean, I, I like to keep an eye on the big 10, but, you and I are both so focused on Nebraska that there's no way we can know half as much as some <laughs> of these people do about these other teams. It's funny you say that because I'm thinking to myself, this will probably have me better prepared to understand the Big Ten as a whole going into this next season than ever before, just because you took the time to record this interview. So thank you for making me a more informed fan. Yeah, no, it, so it was a great conversation. I, I actually came across Dustin uh, 
just on on Twitter over the last couple of years, he covers the whole Big Ten, and so I thought he'd be the perfect perfect person in this conversation. So, I guess with that being said, let's uh, let's roll that tape. We are here with Dustin Schutte. Dustin is the managing editor at Saturday Tradition, which uh, is a news outlet that covers the whole Big Ten. Dustin, welcome to the show. Hey, Justin. Thanks for having me on. Our pleasure. Uh, Can you tell me a little bit about Saturday Tradition and kind of your experience reporting on the Big Ten? Yeah, so Saturday Tradition started up um, in 2007, uh, excuse me, 2015. Um, and, you know, we cover all things Big Ten from top to bottom. Uh, we primarily focus on football, as if people, uh, you know, check out our website, they'll know that that's the number one uh, priority is college football and covering all 14 Big Ten teams as equally as we possibly can. Uh, we do dive into a little bit of basketball, sometimes baseball and some other sports, depending on the season. Uh, but football is always the primary focus. As for myself, I've been uh, with Saturday Tradition since the 2016 season and moved into a managing editor role in 2018. Uh, But I've been covering Big Ten football in some capacity, started out as kind of a freelance writer, columnist um, before the 2014 season. So I guess this would be my sixth or seventh season uh, covering college football professionally. Awesome. So that's, that's a lot of great focused experience on Big Ten football, which is obviously why we've got you here today. Um, so let, you know, just to, to get right to kind of big picture, Big Ten, you, you've been doing it for six years now. Like, what do you perceive as the relative strength of, of this conference at this time? Like, where, where how do you see the, the conference compared to other conferences, you know, compared to recent history? Well, I think the one thing that stands out most to me compared to other conferences is really the quality of coaching has dramatically improved from, you know, you look at the Big Ten from the late 2000s, you know, 2009, 10, and 11, and then all of a sudden in 2012, Urban Urban Meyer comes into the conference at Ohio State, and then you get, uh, you know, a few years later, James Franklin at Penn State, Jim Harbaugh at at, uh, Michigan, then you get Scott Frost at Nebraska, and you've got Jeff Brom at Purdue, and Tom Allen in Indiana, P.J. Fleck at Minnesota, so just top to bottom, just really good conference of coaches, and, you know, I don't think 10 years ago we could have said that. Uh, You know, you'll always talk about the SEC and, and how how the quality of coaching and how that's the destination job for a lot of college football coaches. But I think the Big Ten is right up there. And, and top to bottom, I think that this league does have the best coaching of anywhere uh, in the country. So that's that's the thing that always stands out to me when you talk about the Big Ten. And these are coaches that not, are, not only are established and, and high-energy guys, but these are guys that develop uh, good players. They, they produce good products, and they can get guys to the NFL too. Well, in, in the last couple of years, to, to amplify your point, they've been staying. I mean, I think you've seen extensions for Brom and Fleck just come to mind off the top of my head. I mean, these guys are sticking around, um, which gives them the opportunity to build something. And it doesn't appear as though um, they're looking to make a move to the next big school. Like many of them, like this is where they want to write up their career, at least, you know, be there for a while, it would seem. Yeah, and I think that what's really important is now when you have the Big Ten network and that TV money and, you know, the Big Ten striking the deal with Fox, 
um, you know, for billions of dollars and still maintaining a deal with ESPN. When you look at what that does for some of these other programs, you know, you, you talked about Jeff Brom at Purdue and, and PJ Fleck at Minnesota. That allows them to build up these facilities. That allows them to, you know, increase the money pool for their assistant coaches. And it makes it more appealing for recruits. So it's not just Ohio State and Michigan and Nebraska that are able to keep their coaches long term. It's now, you know, even Northwestern. Look at Pat Fitzgerald. He's been there, what, I think 12, 13 seasons now. Kirk Ferentz at Iowa has been there for over 20 years. So this is a league that has really benefited from the Big Ten Network, I think, is a, is a big reason why these coaches are able to stay because the contracts are better. Um, the uh, amenities are better now. You see everybody in the Big Ten with Purdue recently um, building a new facility, Indiana, Northwestern jumping on board. So it's really an attractive uh, conference to coach in if you're a high-profile coach, uh, a big-time player, or even if you're an assistant coach. You know, this is no longer a stepping stone league from the Big Ten to the SEC. This is a league where you know, you're playing with the big boys. And if you want to win a national championship, you know, doing so in the big, if you win the big 10 conference, you're going to give your chance, yourself a good chance to win a national championship. And I think a lot of people uh, are starting to realize that now. And Ohio state was so close last year. Uh, I mean, I think they probably would have given uh, Clemson a better run for their money in the championship game. Um, just kind of a miscommunication there on the final pass of their final game uh, shuts them out. What a heartbreaker. Um, and you know, we're not big, we're not big conference cheerers, but, you know, that was a bummer. Yeah, I think it always adds a little bit more validity to your conference. And for the Big Ten, which, you know, had been left out of the college football playoff the last two years and had been shut out um, the two years prior to that. So you're talking about four years without scoring a single point in the college football playoff. I don't want to say the Big Ten was the laughingstock, but it still wasn't being taken seriously because, you know, at least Oklahoma put up a fight against Georgia a few years ago in the 2017 Rose Bowl, you know. Uh, Clemson in the ACC and, and Alabama and LSU out of the SEC have been doing some good things. So I, I think that there was a lot of, you know, clapping around the Big Ten, even if you're not, you know, a, a self-appointed Ohio State fan, just to give the conference some validity and say, hey, you know, it, it, it's not the biggest deal in the world here that we, got sh- that we haven't scored a point in four years. This is still a really good conference, and, and we're on the up and up you know, a, a selection process here, a game or two there. And, and, you know, maybe the Big Ten has another championship under its belt. Who knows? But, yeah, I, I don't think that uh, people from Nebraska or, or people from uh, across the Big Ten were alone um, in hoping that that last pass from Justin Fields to Chris Olave wound up as a touchdown in the end zone. And you got to see, uh, you know, Ohio State go up against LSU in that championship game. I, you know, I, I'll be frank. It's, I have not thought back to last season a lot this offseason. You know, it was a rough it was a rough season for Nebraska fans. Um, and um, without Nebraska in the postseason, I, it's easier for me to check out a little bit. So it, it was interesting just in preparation for our conversation to go back and look and be reminded that you look at the final top 11, four of those teams are from the Big Ten. Top six of the top 18 teams are from, are, uh, are from the Big Ten. So, I mean, a third of the top 18 teams coming from this conference, that's pretty significant. I think only five of the top 25 were SEC schools. Um, so it's a top, top to bottom, I think, stronger conference. And you look at two years ago, Big Ten West division champion, you know, not even represent among that. Northwestern had a terrible season uh, coming off of a, a division championship run. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it's a really solid conference. And am I, am I correct? Did you used to cover the SEC a bit too? Um, it, very briefly, oh, very okay. briefly. I, I've, I've not done much on the SEC side, so that okay. was maybe just a couple months. Okay. Well, I won't, I won't force you to draw <clears throat> comparisons there. 
Um, <laughs> that's fine. Um, you know, moving specifically to the divisional conversation a little bit. Um, yeah, just looking at that, that big 10 West, there's a lot of great coaches. Um, there's a lot of great player development. Uh, it's so tough. Last year was so tough to forecast what would happen. Uh, none of us saw Nebraska being second to last. Um, do you think, uh, obviously well in advance of the season, there's no spring practice to go off. Do you think uh, Wisconsin kind of retains their stranglehold on the West here this year? Well, that's a t- that's always a tough question um, because it seems like to me when it looks like Wisconsin might be down and out, you know, and they lose a ton of talent, you know, they lose their top receiver in Quintez Cephas. They lose obviously all American running back, Jonathan uh, Taylor. So, and they got some guys on the defensive side and on the offensive line who they're going to be missing. Uh, but it, it seems like anytime you want to doubt Wisconsin, they come out and, you know, they go 11 and one or they go 12 and 0 and their only losses in the conference in the big 10 championship game. So I, I don't know if stranglehold is the right word that I would use just because I think the quality of competition in the big 10 West is getting so much better. You know, you look at Minnesota and what they return, uh, on both sides of the football. I know that they, uh, lose Tyler Johnson, the top receiver in the Big Ten, but they've got a lot of really good threats on that side, especially with Tanner Morgan returning at quarterback. I think Purdue's got a lot of young talent. I, I, I would throw Nebraska in that category. I think Purdue and Nebraska are both very, very young, but very, very talented. And in the next year or two, I think you'll see those two teams really blossom. You never want to count out uh, Kirk Ferentz in Iowa or Pat Fitzgerald in Northwestern. So it's just, it's so hard to forecast. I you know Wisconsin's probably going to finish in the top three because that's what they do. You know, they, they've dominated this division, you know, in the last six years that it's, it's been in, in, its, in its existence. Excuse me there. Um, but are they going to win it? Are they going to be as dominant as they have in the past? I think the Big Ten West is too good to say that, you know, Wisconsin's going to be a lock for 10 or 11 wins this season, but they'll certainly be in the race, I think. You know, second place, divisional runner-up, Minnesota, I think a lot of Husker fans cynically say, well, they had such a great schedule last year and they, and they did peak at, at the right time and won some, some clutch games. Um, do you see that momentum continuing this season? Uh, I, I think yes and no. Um, I think, uh, let's be fair, the Gophers did have a beneficial schedule, but they took advantage of it. And then when they had the biggest test of the season and they play Penn State, you know, they, they get a huge win over the Nittany Lions at home. So it wasn't just a fluke in, in the fact that they had a beneficial schedule and, and kind of all the pieces coming together for them. Obviously, that plays a little bit of a role into it. I think this is still a very good team and, and a Minnesota team that I think can beat just about anybody on any given Saturday, especially, again, you look at the, the talent they have returning. Mo Ibrahim at running back. They've got a really strong offensive line. Uh, Tanner Morgan at quarterback, Rashad Bateman. Um, and Chris Altman-Bell at wide receiver, just a ton of weapons. I think my concern with Minnesota is who are you going to be able to stop defensively? Mm. Uh, And in the Big Ten, it's so hard to win shootouts every single week. And you saw that catch up with Minnesota a little bit at the end of the season last year where they couldn't quite score enough points on Iowa. And then they just got, um, you know, blasted by Wisconsin that last game of the year. It's just so hard to rely on your offense that frequently um, throughout the course of a season. So I expect them to still be really good, but I think that they may not have the 11 win total that they had this year. I would project them to be somewhere um, eight to nine wins this year and still very much alive in the race. But again, that's, I view the Big Ten West this season as just about anybody can can beat anybody. It's just so good. Um, but I, I expect Minnesota to have a really talented team this year again. 
and even Illinois, who, you know, we all thought Lovey was done a third of the way into the season. Uh, Nebraska had to have this massive comeback to beat them, and they ended up going on quite a run there and becoming bowl eligible, with no, which nobody expected. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, just top to bottom. It's a great division. Uh, flipping over to the East, you know, I'll ask the same stranglehold. Ohio State has even more of a stranglehold on the East. I mean, at least Iowa has broken few, through a couple times recently, but, um, you know. Does Iowa, Ohio State under Ryan Day, do they just keep rolling this year? Um, I think this, and, and this is going to put me in the minority here, I think that Penn State is going to win the East this year. Um, now, not having spring practice this year, obviously I think is going to hurt Penn State because they could have used that spring time to get adjusted to some of the pieces they're going to be missing. Obviously, they've got to develop the wide receiver position. Um, they're going to be missing a, a great defensive end in Yutir Gross Matos, but I still think they're stacked on the defensive line. Um, they have the best, uh, I think, one of the best defensive players in college football and Micah Parsons at, at uh, mm-hmm. linebacker there. So, and, and again, I think James Franklin is probably the best coach in the conference, at least right now. Um, you could make the argument that maybe Ryan Day deserves that title, but after one year, it's, it's so hard to say. Uh, I just really believe that Penn State has all the talent. I think they have the coaching. They get Ohio State at home this season, and it's so hard. You know, Ohio State's gone undefeated. You know, it's so hard to go undefeated two years in a row in a conference like the Big Ten uh, when you're playing Penn State's and Iowa and Michigan every year, um, even though, you know, they've dominated the Wolverines last eight seasons. Right. Um, you know, I, Ohio State's still very good. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they go undefeated, but I think that this is the year Penn State gets back on the map and makes a serious run at the college football playoff. I think I, I really like what the Nittany Lions bring. They've got a loaded running back room with Journey Brown and uh, Noah Kane and Devin Ford and uh, Keziah Holmes is coming in this season. So it, it, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch that race. And I think that that game, the winner of that game is going to win the division. I don't think it's even close. I don't think there's a third. I don't think Michigan, Michigan State, Indiana, I don't think any of those teams uh, are even going to sniff the top two, uh, sniff the top two teams in that division. You mentioned Micah Parsons. I, I remember when he was a recruit, he actually came to Nebraska for a, a summer workout a camp. And I remember him running routes uh, at, from the wide receiver group and making great catches over, you know, top flight defensive backs. He's just a, a freak athlete. Um, yeah. And for, you know, a hot minute, Nebraskans thought maybe he was going to come here. Of course, I don't think that was ever going to happen. But um, so you already mentioned Michigan and Harbaugh. I don't know. It's just such a weird position where Harbaugh has – he's so quirky, so confident, and they're so frustrated. Um, sounds like you think that frustration continues this year. Yeah, I really do. And and to be honest with you, I have nothing to base that off of other than <laughs> I just I just kind of stop believing in the fact that Michigan can beat Ohio State until I see it. True. You know, two of the last four or five years I've predicted that Michigan would beat Ohio State, and I've been dead wrong. You know, in, in 2016 and 2018 – uh, those are the two best teams Michigan had that had a chance to beat Ohio State. So it's, it's not so much the fact that Ohio State blew out Michigan this year. Ohio State was blowing out everybody. That's not an anomaly. What the, what the issue is, is that you look at who has beaten Ohio State the last couple of years. You know, Iowa beat Ohio State. Purdue beat Ohio State. Michigan State has beaten Ohio State. And in those last eight years, Michigan hasn't been able to do it once. And I think that's the problem, and that's why I've kind of lost belief in Michigan. And that doesn't even mention the fact that they're replacing basically their entire starting um, D- or offensive line. They have to find some replacement linebackers for Klee Hudson and Josh Uche. 
Um, you are lacking some wide receivers uh, with Donovan Peoples-Jones uh, going away and Tark Black deciding to transfer. So they're, they've got a new quarterback. Shea Patterson's gone. So uh, they just have way too many questions. I envision them having kind of like a season like the 2017 season. So I, I'm not going to say sit here and say that I think Jim Harbaugh's on the hot seat. He has to beat Ohio State. He has to win a division. But I do think that that will be the case for the 2021 season. Um, because then you're talking about what that would be what his seventh year. And if he can't beat Ohio state, um, it may be time to turn the page on him. But mm. I, you know, I think Ward Manuel gives them a little leeway. He sees what, what all Michigan is losing this season. The fact that they are again, losing spring practice and they don't have a time, you know, a chance to get some of those younger guys, some of that experience, some of those repetitions that you need this time of year. Uh, he get he'll get a pass this season, but I think 2021 is going to be a big time year for Jim Harbaugh. And I know we said that probably three or four times in his career, um, but I think that that one's going to be the year where he has to beat Ohio State um, at the very least, and and maybe even win the Big Ten East. I think there's a pretty clear division between the top three and then the bottom three. I think Rutgers, Maryland, and and Michigan State with. Uh firing or D'Antonio retiring rather and Mel Tucker come in I think that's the clear bottom but I don't know you know I'd look to you for any insight on Indiana I will say Nebraska and had a really weird experience with them this last year where they beat us and then they were so like passive aggressive about it afterwards and alluding to (laughs) hidden slights and I mean I'm just gonna always think of that when I think of Indiana from here until the day I die I'm always gonna think of them being petty and small and that's just who they are from here on out um, what, but do you think they have the opportunity to repeat their eight and five success next year? Yeah. I mean, it is interesting that you say that because there is almost kind of a line of demarcation. Although I would say that Ohio state, Penn state are one and two clear above. And then I would put Indiana and Michigan this season kind of in tier. that, in that second tier, kind of in that same category again, because when you look at what Michigan lost and what Indiana returns, Indiana had, I think, you know, the second or third youngest roster in the Big Ten last season. I know people don't like to hear that, but if Michael Penix is healthy at quarterback, I mean, that's a guy who was flourishing in Kalen DeBoer's offense, um, even though he, the offensive coordinator position is now changing over to Nick Sheridan. I think the Hoosiers are still going to use a lot of that offense. So I think they'll be able to score some points. Again, it comes down to, is Tom Allen going to be able to, you know, have guys stop, stop teams? Um, and that was always his strength until – you know, last season. So it's going to be interesting to see what Indiana can do as far as can they get to eight wins? You know, their first, gosh, I don't have the schedule right in front of me, but I think the first seven game, I think the first seven or eight games is very favorable. Like outside of that season opener against Wisconsin, there's a chance that Indiana could go six and one or seven and one. Um, And and like, that's a realistic possibility. And then as as you know, kind of like Nebraska, those last four or five games are just, Mm -hmm. um, you know, kind of, a meat grinder, if you will. Yep. So Indiana's got to get to seven wins, I think, in that first you know stretch, you know, before November. If they can do that, maybe they can squeak out another win. Maybe they can finally beat, you know, I'd say a blue blood program. Maybe they can sneak out an upset victory over a Michigan or a Ohio State or a Penn State. Um, well, they did beat us I, last year. And and I think you know there's a chance too that I think Indiana could be a lot better. But maybe have a seven and you know seven and five, or maybe another eight and four record, uh, just because of how the schedule plays out at the end there, and then getting Wisconsin in the in the cross division game. That's not an excuse, obviously, but I wouldn't be surprised to see you know Indiana. When you look at Indiana and say, hey, this is a really good football team, but maybe the the record doesn't quite reflect that um, when you look at it on paper. 
Gotcha. Good, good analysis. Um, you know, so this is the Husker football fan podcast. So really curious Husker fans, you know, they like to hear about the rest of the conference, but really we want to hear about us. So what sure. as kind of a, you know, big picture guy covering the whole conference. What's your take on Nebraska for 2020? Yeah. So I think there's still a lot of question marks. Um, and you know, you're going to know better, um, than I will about the mindset there of Nebraska, of Nebraska fans and, and what the situation is heading into this uh, third season under Scott Frost. But I feel like towards the end of the season, maybe middle of the year, um, there was kind of a tempering of expectations. And not so much in the fact that you expect Scott Frost to you know, get a division title, to win a Big Ten title, to eventually be competing for national championships, but the understanding that now – it's not going to be two years and an undefeated season like it was at UCF. This thing is going to take time. He's going to have to get his players involved. Uh, the other thing is, you know, I, I think Scott Frost, when he came into the league, maybe a little bit being his being a young head coach, maybe underestimated what how long it would take in the rebuild. And I think he's become very cognizant of that. And, and you know, we've got to build up our offensive and defensive lines. We got to get better at the linebacker position. We got to get more playmakers in here. So I think he's it, it, he's realized that it's going to take a little bit of time. And I think he's doing the right things. Um, and, and I really like what he's doing on the recruiting trail. You know, at the end of the 2020 recruiting class, uh, you know, it looked like you know, I think it was by November. You know, you were thinking, "Gosh, is is this backfiring on on Frost in Nebraska right now?" Because I think they were in the 40s um, in 247 Sports's um, composite rankings, and then all of a sudden, he gets a bunch of four-star commits, and and they got a top 20 class. Mm. So, you know, my perspective is, I don't know that 2020 is going to be the year that the Huskers are are competing for division titles. I do expect them to be in a bowl game, and I do think that's a big deal. If you can get, you know, it's so much different. If you get to even six and six, and then you win that bowl game, the mindset of heading into the next season after a seven and six year compared to a six and seven year is such a big difference. So whether Nebraska gets the seventh win in the regular season, whether they get it in the bowl game, or whether they, you know, whether they outperform my expectations even, I think getting to a bowl game, getting that postseason experience, getting those extra, you know, 10 to 15 practices after the regular season is going to be so important for this program heading forward. And then I think by year four or year five, you'll probably start seeing the Huskers more in the conversation of with the Wisconsins, with the Iowas, we've, even with the Minnesotas. Um, and obviously you guys are hoping that that will come um, even quicker and you can surpass them. But when you get in that conversation, that's kind of how you know you've arrived because those are some really good programs right now. Um, and I, like I said, I think that getting to a bowl game is the next big step. And, and I do think the schedule plays out favorably. I think that they have the talent to do it. Um, it's going to be a matter of how much did Nebraska's offensive and defensive lines improve, in my opinion, because they certainly have the talent at the skill positions, I think, to get the job done and win six, seven games this year. Yeah, I think that's a solid take. Yeah, I think uh, it's it's really interesting to think about um, whether we expected it to happen or not. There was the precedent of, you know, 13-0 season two. And I don't think – I think that probably drove a lot of expectations at the national mm-hmm, level. Sure. As I, I think that locally we weren't thinking that and we all kind of got sucked into this positivity vortex produced by a lot of outside voices. And it's, I hadn't thought about it. You, I don't know what it, the way you, you framed it. It's like once it became apparent mid season that 13 and 0 is not happening. It was kind of like a shifting gears all the way down to this is not a quick turnaround anymore. It never really was, but now we know that it's not. And all of a sudden we're in low gear <laughs> preparing for a long grind. So that that's a really, 
interesting observation. Well, I, you know, I think that it's it, it's interesting because, you know, like you said, there were people that were, and this is outside of Nebraska, there were national media people who were expecting um, Scott Frost to be in the college football playoff conversation within three years. And that's a compliment to how well he did at UCF, how well he did at Oregon as an offensive coordinator, how, how much confidence people had in him. And I still think that that's fine. But I think that once you realize how far back Nebraska was, there was a changing of the guard. And going through those coaching changes is never easy. It doesn't matter what the program is um, or how storied you know, the tradition is. It's, it's always a difficult change. When you're trying to get your players in there, that takes time. When you're trying to implement a new system, that takes time. And you know, let's, let's face it here a little bit. I think that when you bring a staff, when, when Scott Frost brought his staff from UCF and keeping most of them intact, the AAC is not the same as the Big Ten. Sure. Uh, and so I think, I think now he's, again, he's realizing as he's becoming a more of a veteran coach and has done this a few more years, he's realizing, I need guys with experience who have done this at the Power Five level. Um, I need guys who have a proven track record of being successful, whether that's in a position coach, whether that's in a coordinator, um, whether that's even in just a, a, an analyst. You know, building those staff members is key. And so I think, you know, adding uh, Matt Lubick this offseason was a huge move for him, uh, and I think that will pay off quite a bit. And I think that that's one of the really big steps that you have to take as a head coach is making those tough decisions to say, hey, this is going to be for the betterment of the program. I need to make a change here. Maybe I've known this guy five, ten years, you know, whatever the case might be. But for the betterment of, of Nebraska football, I need to be able to make these changes. And I think you're starting to see that, and it's paying off. You know, the guys he has on his staff now are good recruiters. He's a good recruiter. Uh, I think you'll see it schematically. I think you'll see guys who, I want to say maybe challenge him a little bit more, and that's not in a negative way. That's just, hey, coach, I don't think this play is going to work, you know, on on third and five. Let's try this one. And you need that on a a staff to be successful, and I think he's starting to get that. And it's going to be interesting over the next, you know, two to three years to see how that pays off. Yeah. Yeah. Great points all the way through. I I agree with you pretty much across the board there. It's definitely an iron sharpening iron. And when you've just been working with the same guys for a while and things aren't working, things have to change. And that was one of my fears actually coming out of this last season was that Frost would say, um, you know, these are my guys. We're going to fix it together because he is very loyal. Um, And uh, but but we learned that he's not necessarily loyal to a fault. So he he made some some, I think probably for him personally, very tough decisions, but from the business of college football perspective, they were the right moves and, and definitely we got some upgrades. So, um, yeah, now I'm, man, <laughs> I'm excited now for the fall. Let's, let's get here. <laughs> let's have football. Let's do this. And, uh, it, it is a shame, um, that we couldn't have spring football. I'm, uh, you know, so much of his first and second recruiting classes were just ready to hit their stride. And I think spring from a developmental perspective, this is not rocket science. I mean, that was going to be huge. So, um, so we don't have that, but it's raining on both sides of the field. Nobody has it. Um, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Right. Right. And, and I, I think I would echo one point here. And that is the fact that, you know, if Nebraska comes out of the gate next season and is struggling through the first three, four, maybe even five games, even though it's a, it's an easier schedule in the, in the front half, don't jump off the bandwagon because this is a, this is a team, you know, I would compare Nebraska again to Purdue um, maybe even to Michigan in the sense that they have a lot of young players. They need those spring repetitions. Mm-hmm. So the product at the beginning of the season um, 
is probably going to look a lot rougher than it is at the end of the season. You know, it, you know, teams like Penn State and Ohio State, will they have some hiccups along the way early from missing spring? Yeah, but they also have a lot of experience and a lot of, you know, four and five star recruits that have been there, done that. So that kind of makes up for it. Nebraska has some of that four star talent, but it's so raw. Um, and some of those guys are so inexperienced that they really needed these repetitions, you know, even if it's just for um, 15 practices. So, and to, to understand the scheme, to kind of get to know some of those new coaches on staff, it was really important. So even if you see the Huskers struggle at the beginning of the season, I don't know that that's going to be the, the proper forecast for what's to come in October and November. Um, so I would just be wary and, you know, it may be a rough start to the season. Maybe you lose a game or two that you're not supposed to, but I would, I would, you know, much like Illinois at the start of the 2019 season where it looked like the, the train was going off the rails, it could look that way early for Nebraska, but at the end of the season, I know the schedule's tough. I, so they have to pile up wins early, but I think the product at the end of the year is going to look so much better in Lincoln than it does at the beginning of the year. Just just because Nebraska is one of those handful of teams that really, really could have benefited from those spring practices. Yeah, that's that's great. I, I think that's really wise. Um, the hope is that these teams develop through the season, and one big change from Riley to Frost was that Frost is look, lifting through the season um, more intensely. They're going full contact through the season. So even though that last five, those last five games is a gauntlet, I mean – the other, the other teams will have played – rains on both sides of the field. Use the phrase again. I mean, those other teams will have been down the, the Big Ten path, and, and nobody's going to be uh, ideally – you know, it's, it's not like we're all starting the season. So hopefully that the development um, leads to some, some wins unexpected to mirror some maybe unexpected losses up front. Good, good, good thoughts. Um, well, Dustin, this, is, this has been a really interesting conversation. I really appreciate your time. Uh, if our, if uh, our listeners want to read more of, of your work, how, how do they find it? Yeah. If you just go to SaturdayTradition.com, um, like I said, we cover all 14 big 10 teams. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at tradition, or you can follow me on Twitter at, uh, shooty CFB. So that's at S C H U T T E CFB. Um, and like I said, we got all kinds of good football content. We're, we're still going away, even though there's not many sports going on right now and a lot, a lot of action. We're, we're cranking out as much as we possibly can, uh, and, uh, you know, getting as much big 10 football content out as, as we can. Yeah. And I, I definitely plug given, uh, Dustin and, uh, his group, a, a follow. I've really enjoyed Dustin's takes on, on Twitter, at, uh, both football and non-football related. So that's, uh, that's how we connected. And, uh, it was, it was a pleasure meeting you and having you on the show. So thank you so much, Dustin. Hey, thanks, Justin. You take care. You too. Bye. Thanks again to Mr. Shooty for joining us on the podcast. You can connect with him on Twitter at ShootyCFB, and that's spelled S-C-H-U-T-T-E-C-F-B. Also, connect with Saturday Tradition at SaturdayTradition.com and follow at Tradition on Twitter. Do you remember that episode of Reply All where they interviewed people who like hacked into people's accounts just to get like really rare original Twitter handles? No, but that sounds like something that would happen. Yeah. I just tradition made me think of that. I am very glad that my name is unique enough that most social media handles for me are just my name, you know? Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. So You know what also is unique is the uh the deals going on with Central Nebraska Buffalo right now. Hey yo, supply chain for beef is starting to die out. So now's the time to switch, folks. 
Yeah, well, I was just going to say there's still time for this Mother's Day package, although they usually ship on Monday, uh, and this comes out Tuesday. So, you know, you could give your mom, like, I don't know I don't know if you'd call it an IOU, or you could give her, like, the receipt or, like, a snapshot of what's coming in her Mother's Day package. Oh, yeah. I've done that kind of thing before. You, Mike, you talk about the supply chain dropping out. I also yeah. see a new product here, 10-pound ground bison tube. Wow. That'll keep you uh, satisfied for a while. And, like, honestly, folks, I know that I'm, like, being a little flippant here. Like, all due respect to the people involved in the production of meat here in the state of Nebraska. I'm sure that there's probably somebody on, you know, listening to this podcast who might actually take that personally. I am not reveling in anybody's misfortune, anything like that. Um, some, some friends of ours who, who do livestock at home and, and at home they live in a, on a farm. Um, I know they, they've definitely gotten a little bit more busy now as people are trying mm. to anticipate what's coming next. So in all seriousness, I'm, I'm st- stock up with some yeah, bison. for real. It'll last. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure we... Oh, actually, you know what? We just finished off. We had uh, some ground bison this past week. I actually ended up having some in, uh, I think, some burritos that I made just because Ooh, I had a little extra, little extra ground bison lying around. So I was like, why not? Let's throw it in a tortilla. It's good to go. <laughs> Ooh, that does so, sound good. Yeah. Cool. Well, all right. Hey, uh, it's exciting to get rolling here with our season previews. Uh, we've got one more kind of big picture episode coming up, and then uh, we'll, we'll be getting to it with our week-to-week game previews. Yeah. So if you have not yet subscribed, if you're just checking this out for the first time because, you know, you're stuck at home and you're like, man, I miss football. Guess what? Good news. We're going to be posting a lot of new content in the coming weeks and months um, because just as Justin brought up on the podcast last week, there's murmurings that uh, we might have a season this fall. So uh, we're hoping for that, hoping first and foremost for everybody's safety and health. But, uh, you know, once that's... um, Given the all clear, maybe we can start seriously looking at some football for this fall. Yeah, I'm just doing all these previews with expressly saying, like, let's all just assume that everything happens like normal. Mm-hmm. That being said, I mean, wouldn't it be crazy if there was, like, 50% of the people in the stands or, like, nobody in the stands? Mm. It's, it's better than nothing, yeah. I think. NASCAR is resuming, I think, this next week with nobody in the bleachers. They're going to have the race, but nobody's going to be there. So it might be interesting if we start seeing some more sports go that direction as they kind of slowly reintegrate. I don't know. I think Iowa just, uh, their president just said that beginning June 1st, uh, all student activities were going to be resuming on campus, including football practice. Mm. I guess while we're talking about newsworthy stuff right now noah vedrill's off the team yeah yeah looking to transfer you know at this stage can't blame him he got one more year left might as well try to make the most out of it right when uh right when i saw that i kind of tweeted that the writing was on the wall and like i stunk to see him go but i understood and someone kind of challenged me like what do you mean writing's on the wall there should be an open and free competition and it's like yeah yeah no i i do think there will be an open competition but i also think that 
any illusions Frost had of winning quickly are gone. And that at this point in time, as you know, last year, I think was the plan was to build for the future. And uh, as things started to go bad, they're like, well, we're still committed to this, you know, future focus. And they kept redshirting a bunch of people. So he's, he's building long-term and he's got a junior quarterback and he's got um, a McCaffrey <laughs> who's coming out of red shirt. And he's got uh, Logan Smothers coming to campus. And I know they're, they're working on the next quarterback down the line recruiting. So I'm, you know, there's, there's a lot of young talent. And I think, if Vedral couldn't beat somebody out now, and I think Sean Callahan, I'm, several probably made this point, but Sean was the one who I read it, pointed out that uh, that Noah really needed the spring practice if he wanted to make a leap, and he lost spring practice. So yeah. like his best chance, his last best chance to, to seize a starting position is gone. Um, so hmm. with those young guys coming, I think Frost is going to be looking for reasons to play them, and, and Noah just kind of... He's kind of the odd man out, so you feel yeah. for him, and and hopefully he can find a spot to to land and and play and start. And he's got two years, so he could go because he's going to graduate, or maybe he did. I think he will graduate here this coming weekend, so he'll be a graduate transfer with two years to play, like uh, like that one quarterback that Nebraska didn't recruit twice. <laughs> Is he any better than what we got? <laughs> Oh, all right. Wow, we kind of got on topic there at the end. It's <laughs> great. That's what, all right. Shall we cut this short? We've, we plan to talk for like 15 minutes, and uh, we've been together for an hour. Yeah, I think we're there, man. All right. Go Big Red, Mike. Go Big Red. The Husker Football Fan Podcast is an unofficial, non-commercial podcast and is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. The views expressed on this podcast belong solely to the individuals expressing them. The Husker Football Fan Podcast is not endorsed by or affiliated with the Nebraska Cornhuskers or the University of Nebraska. Nebraska.